All right, well, good morning to you. Good to see you all here today. Today we're gonna uh, we're gonna pick up in the second chapter of the book of Joel today. We're gonna start with verse 18 and go to the end of the chapter. So Joel chapter two, starting at verse 18. When you find it, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right, Joel chapter two, verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul of him will and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things fear not O land be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done great things fear not you beasts of the field for the pastures of the wilderness are green the tree bears its fruit the fig tree and vine give their full yield be glad O children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given the early rain for your vindication he has poured down for you abundant rain the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And this shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, again we come before you, Lord, asking for your blessing and help here. And Lord, thanking you so much for your, for your grace extended to us. And Lord, for your um, grace even in using us in your, in your purposes, in your kingdom work, in calling us together as, as a church, as a body, to, to cooperate um, not only with you, but with one another in the effort of making disciples. Lord, um, we're asking, as always, for your empowerment, that you empower us to be witnesses by your, by your indwelling spirit, that you would make us faithful witnesses to those around us who, who need to come to the knowledge of Christ, that we may be lights in this present dark world. And Father, this morning, use us here, Lord, open up our hearts to receive your truth. Again, by your Spirit, 
by your Spirit, Lord, empower us, enable us, enable us to understand and receive your truth and to be changed by it, just as Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth. Again, Lord, we ask, work all these things out for our good and for your eternal glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can be seated. Amen. Um, there's always the, the responsibility and, and the challenge, and, 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 and the challenge is greater with some passages than with others, but um, the, always the responsibility and the challenge to interpret Scripture correctly. Um, and, of course, ultimately, the only, one that, the, only, the only way that can be done is through the Spirit giving us understanding. And there are means that the Spirit um, uses to do that. Um, some, like uh, one, like, like, we were just, like I was just praying and asking for, is that He just open up our understanding. Um, and sometimes that's done directly. In other words, while you're, while you're interacting with, with the Word, the Spirit just opens it up to you. Other times it comes through other channels, uh, People, for example, and uh, had another another conversation yesterday with someone who was um, um, saying that you shouldn't use commentaries, and uh, it remi- <laughs> it reminded me once again of a of a quote by Charles Spurgeon to his students um, in the form of a question. He asked his students, "Why do you value so much?" what the Holy Spirit speaks to you and so little what He speaks to other men? And, and that's a great question uh, for those who, uh, who, are, who don't like commentaries. Commentaries are, can be a means through which the Holy Spirit um, brings, things, uh, brings understanding to us because He doesn't give it all to one person. Um, not even me, not even you. Um, so, of course, they have to be read with discernment. But and 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 again, asking the Lord to to open our understanding and give us discernment. But but a lot of times there is help there. But you're gonna you're gonna see this morning we have a we have a little bit of a unique case here because the main commentator that we're going to be considering this morning is the Apostle Peter, uh, who I am very confident. Now, and I have I have a pretty good bit of confidence in men like John Calvin and and. Uh, uh, Martin Luther, uh, you know, among the dead, and, and then among those who are living, uh, men like John MacArthur and, and uh, D. A. Carson, and I have pretty good, pretty good confidence in them. But when it comes to Peter and other New Testament uh, authors, I am—I um, mean, you can take it to the bank. I am—I am confident in how they interpret the Old Testament <laughs> that it's right because they were doing it uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at Joel and consider the things that are here, and then we're going to we're going to look back at the passage that um, David read for the uh, for the call to worship earlier, Acts chapter two, because these two are linked. It is in Acts chapter two that Peter quotes Joel two, uh, quotes from Joel two, and and says that this is it. This is the fulfillment of it. Uh, so we'll get back to that momentarily, but let's kind of set the context first. And I want to I want to try. We got a lot of ground to cover here. There's a lot of information here, but I'm but I'm going to try to, um, Lord willing, and I'm asking for the Lord's help here, but obviously, but try to make this as plain and and uh, and and simple as possible. And and so I'll, here's kind of the main point. We we've been talking about 
first of all, about the, the great day of the Lord, right? The day of wrath, the day of judgment that's coming. So here's, here's the main point for this section that we're in today. The Lord promises rescue or promises to rescue those who call on Him. The Lord promises to rescue those who call on Him. That's the main point in this section of Joel. We've already been seeing how God is pronouncing judgment, pronouncing judgment, and then calling on His people to repent. Um, Well, today um, we get to the, the, the good news part of it. The Lord promises to rescue those who call on Him. So I'm just going to... Um, if you want a title for this, I'm just going to call it A Promise to Rescue. A Promise to Rescue. All right? Now let's get, let's get a little bit of the context here. We're, and we're going to start back in 18. We, we left off in verse 17 last week. So um, just two main points here. Um, and the first one is this. The jealousy of the Lord. That's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? The jealousy of the Lord. I was looking at this, and uh, another thing that I like to do when I can with the Old Testament is, is um, when I don't forget or whatever, is, is compare it with the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, but it existed in Jesus' day, and it's quoted by the... Um, by the um, authors of the New Testament. So, so again, I, I, um, I see it as a reliable source. You know, the, in fact, the, the passage that we're just talking about in Acts chapter two, um, you can you can tell by the structure there that that Peter is quoting from the Septuagint rather than from the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, because there are little variances. All right, and I won't take time here to go into all that, but but just making the point that the Septuagint provides uh, some help too, because you look, you look at how Words were translated from Hebrew into Greek, and it, and it helps a little bit with the understanding. So this is one example, and that's why I'm bringing it up. In verse 18, Then the Lord became jealous for His land. Now, interestingly, the Septuagint there for the term jealous uses the term for zeal. Zeal. Zealous. Interesting uh, um, not only do they, do they have similar meanings, uh, which I'll try to bring out here, but they rhyme. Jealous, zealous, right? Uh, at least in English they do. Jealous and zealous. So, so you can think of it in those terms. In fact, I'm going I'm to refer to it as the compassionate zeal. The compassionate zeal of the Lord for His people. That, If you want a description of the jealousy that Joel is talking about here, then the Lord became jealous. That's it. Compassionate zeal. The compassionate zeal for, uh, of the Lord for His people. Well, where do you get the idea of compassionate? In the same verse. Then the Lord became jealous for His land and had pity on His people. So, in all this talk about the locusts coming in, you know, God has been announcing judgment. Uh, some of it, we, we talked about this last week, uh, last couple of weeks, but some of it has already come in the form of uh, the plague of locusts that have come in and destroyed the land. And then there seems to be also in view uh, a great day of judgment coming, which the plague of locusts, while it was a, a judgment itself, it, it, it still it was a type and a shadow, a foreshadowing of greater judgment to come. 
the end time judgment. And so while the Lord is speaking about all of those things and how this judgment is and is coming, coming present tense, it's coming now and it's coming future in the form of the final judgment, and it's coming upon all of those who, who refuse to repent, he becomes jealous for his land and has pity on his people. And, and by the way, you might uh, want to, sometime when you're reading through this, notice all the, the, the pronouns, like how many times he uses the term my. He refers to it as his land, his land, his people. The, the plague of locusts as his army, my army, and, and so forth. So um, just shows throughout that he's in control and that everything belongs to him. The land is his, the people are his, and he has a compassionate zeal for them. So, in other words... He's going to save. He's going to bring some to salvation and not allow um, all to be destroyed. Not allow His people to be utterly wiped out. And so verse 19 says, The Lord answered and said to His people, and that's, that's another thing to mark. You know, he, he gives instruction, we talked about this again in previous weeks, to call upon Him. Call upon the Lord. And you see Joel do that in chapter 1, verse 19. To you, O Lord, I call. And we've got these repeated exhortations. Call an assembly, gather the people, consecrate, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children. He instructs the priest to, um, to cry out to the Lord for the sake of the people, to not let His people be destroyed. And then this compassionate zeal or jealousy is, is stirred up within the Lord, and He answers. That is, He answers His people. And He speaks. The Lord answered and said. He said to His people. So the Lord hears and answers the prayers of His people, and the Lord has spoken. Just in terms of application, that is important to remember. When you cry out to God, remember, He speaks. He speaks. If you haven't heard the Lord speak, or, if, or maybe I should say it this way, if you desire to hear the Lord speak, Read, read His Word. Read His Word. This is Him speaking. You say, do you think the Lord still speaks today? Absolutely. Here it is. Read His Word. Read His Word. You will hear Him speak. You've already heard it this morning. You read it, you'll hear it again. So His compassionate zeal, He, he determines to say, in His compassionate zeal, He determines to save and to restore. And you see that again in verse 19. The Lord answered and said to His people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. Now, a couple things here. First of all, remember um, God's character. Earlier in the chapter, and um, look, look at verse 13, when He's calling for repentance... Uh, actually, it starts in verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. He calls for wholehearted repentance. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Wholehearted, heartfelt repentance. It may sound a little bit redundant, but but it's, it's important to drive the, the point home. What he's talking about here is genuine, heartfelt repentance. Not, not, it's not just something surface where we just, where we just um, put, 
put on the sackcloth and ashes and rend the garments. No, rend the heart, he says. Return to me with your whole heart. And then look at what he says in verse 13. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious. Here's where His character comes in. So, so in exhorting them to repent, He, as, as encouragement, gives them assurance of His grace. He reminds them of who He is. Verse 13, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. Now, that wording, by the way, the Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see it many times in, in the Old Testament, in, in the Psalms, I think Psalm 118. And it comes from uh, Moses' encounter with the Lord where he asked the Lord uh, to show him his glory. Show, Lord, show me your glory. And, and what the Lord does is proclaim his name to him and say, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So, so what God does in showing Moses his glory is reveal to him his character, his gracious character. In fact... Um, you go back and read that passage in Exodus 33, you'll see he puts emphasis on his sovereignty and on his grace. I will have mercy on whom I will, his sovereignty and his grace. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So he's reminding them of that again here as well. Calling them to repentance and reminding them of his character, his grace. And he promises with all that to rescue. Let's go back to um, verse 19. And, and you could say it this way, rescue and uh, he promises restoration. You see a lot, of, a lot of the same language that he uses in chapter 1 and chapter 2 describing the devastation. Now he, now he talks about restoring all of that. So in, in verse 19, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil. Uh, I mentioned before that those three things... Um, were essential for prosperity. They represent prosperity and abundance. And if you look real quick back in chapter 1, where it's talking about the plague of locusts, chapter 1, verse 10, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. In other words, they have been wiped out in terms of of, um, wealth, prosperity. And you look down in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, the end of the verse there, it says, And gladness dries up from the children of man. They are devastated, devastated by this plague. Well, now, in chapter 2, verse 19, he's promising to restore that. I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. So before these things were, were gone, dried up, taken away, and gladness dried up. But now he's saying they're going to be restored and you're going to be satisfied. He promises them satisfaction. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will, you know, verse 20, I just, uh, you, you always hear, you know, about taking passages out of context and misusing them. I just wondered how, how often that one got used during the Civil War. You know, I will remove the northerner far from you. Well, anyway, 
That's, that's not really relevant to today's message, but <laughs> that would be a good one for them to take out of context and misuse, wouldn't it? All right. Um, so the Lord promises to rescue and restore. He will save. Verse 20, here's a, here's a better application. I will remove the northerner. In other words, he's talking about defeating the foe, vanquishing the enemy. That's, what he, that's the idea here. That, that could be a literal reference to um, the locust. He's, he's moving them out. Um, probably, I'm, you know, I see these things. I'm thinking it's got kind of a dual fulfillment. Again, probably is talking about the locust, but then it also has, has another, um, another um, invasion in view, devastation in view. Um, so maybe, maybe a reference to the Assyrians, for example. I'm going to... Remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The main point is the Lord is telling them that by which you have been destroyed, I am going to remove and I'm going to restore the land. So he will save, in other words, he will deliver. He promises to defeat the enemy restoring peace to his people. And he will satisfy, as we just read. Um, only the Lord can rescue from the enemy and only the Lord can satisfy the longing soul. Now, what's the right response to this announcement that, 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 this, um, that this God, Yahweh, in his compassionate zeal for his people, is going to deliver them from the enemy and restore the land. Well, here's the response verse to, to the announcement. Verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pasture of the wilderness are green. The trees bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. See, he's, again, he's talking about future, what he's going to do. But he said, all this is going to be restored. All this that has been taken away is going to be restored, and there's going to once again be abundance, once again be plenty, once again be satisfaction, once again um, be worship as these things are restored um, to the house of the Lord as well. So fear not, and verse 23, be glad. Don't fear and be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. It's important. When you, when you read... Um, Chapter 1 and 2, about all the devastation. And when you consider chapter 1, verse 12, that I mentioned just a few minutes ago, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. It seems to insinuate there that their joy, their gladness, was tied up in their prosperity. They were rejoicing, but they were rejoicing in temporal, material things. That which, that which uh, prospered them, that which uh, gave them comfort, that which gave them pleasure. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, palm, apple, all the trees of the field. All those things are pretty good on my list too, except for the pomegranate. I can take that one off. 
When those things dried up, gladness dried up. But now, when God restores His people, He says in verse 23, chapter, chapter 2, verse 23, Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. It's where the rejoicing should have been focused all along. And again, he promises abundance, he says in, in verse 23, He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. In other words, he's giving them everything needed for abundant harvest. In verse 24, The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. So there it is again, grain, wine, oil, overflowing this time. In other words, there's going to be fruitfulness in the land. And I will restore, here it is, verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. So judgment and now the promise of rescue, prosperity, abundance, restoration, restoring what was lost. But it's, it's to the repentant. It's to those who call on Him. And we're going we're gonna to see that again. You know, that's what he, he told them to do. For verse 12, for example, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me. Return to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. So He's calling on them to return with the promise that He will restore them. Now, how is that going to take place? And I think this is really what... what um, Verses 28 through 32 are uh, dealing with, kind of, kind of giving a, uh, an explanation, which is, is not really the, the expected one. I mean, what we've seen in these verses from, from 18 to 27, that's what we'd expect, because it's just, it's just talk about restoring material goods, basically, temporal things. You're going to get back the grain, the wine, the oil. The trees, all the trees are going to once again produce. The land's going to be fruitful. But now he's going to he's going to take it further that further than that and kind of kind of uh, lift their vision up, so to speak, to where it should have been all along, and to where it should be for us. In other words, there, there's a there's a greater, better kind of prosperity and abundance. There's something better than, than just having the vats full of, of wine. An overabundance of, of rain on the land so that the crops produce. The invading locusts driven out of the country. There's, there's something better. Those, those things are nice. I mean, we enjoy blessings and pleasures in this life. But the, but the, the purpose, really, of those things should be to... to, to the purpose is to help us focus on, not, not on the, those gifts, but to focus on the giver. To, to, to look to Him for something greater. To give thanks for those things, but not to set our affections 
on temporal earthly blessings. Now, here's the second main point. The promise of the Lord. So first was the jealousy of the Lord, His compassionate zeal for His people. And now the promise of the Lord. And this is the pouring out of His Spirit on His people. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, let me say this before I even go any further, because this is, this is how I want us to, to think about this. What, what we're, what we're, what we're going to see here is, is the means and the evidence of true repentance. You know, he keeps saying, return to me, return with all your heart, Rend your heart, not just your garments. Well, how's that going to take place? Well, it's going to take place. In other words, genuine repentance is going to take place by the outpouring of His Spirit. And it's also going to be the evidence of it. In other words, if somebody really genuinely repents and returns to the Lord, trusting in Him, then that's going to be evidenced by the indwelling presence of His Spirit. Now you, can th- you can think of it this way, too. I said the means and the evidence. You can think of it in terms, too, of the, the power and the proof. The, the, the outpouring of His Spirit is the, is the power behind genuine repentance. It doesn't happen without it. And it's also the, the proof of it. The proof that some, the, the indwelling presence of His Spirit, the, 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 the outpouring of His Spirit on, on, on His church is the proof of genuine repentance, right relationship with Him, trusting in Him. The evidence of faith. Now, here's what He says. Verse 28. And, uh, and this is what Peter um, quotes as well in Acts chapter 2. Verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the key. I mean, that's where we're going here. That's where, that's where Joel's been going. That's where the Lord's been taking him in this book. That's, that's, where, that's why Peter is, is, um, is expounding on this verse. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. Remember um, earlier on when we were talking about the, uh, the devastation brought on by the locusts, uh, it, it was said by Joel that nothing escapes. You look, look, look back in verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. That is, the devastation is so utterly complete that it just wipes out everything in its path. And yet, here now, when he speaks of those who call upon the name of the Lord, 
and their salvation, he says, they will escape. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. All right. Here's what I want to do. I already said this is what's going on here. There's the, the vision is being lifted from physical, temporal, earthly things to a greater spiritual reality. So we've been talking about devastation done by locusts and restoration of the land, you know, the, the restoring of the crops and fruitfulness. But what is the point of all that? What's, what's it pointing to? Well, there's, there's a spiritual reality that it's pointing to. And it's not that these things didn't happen. They did. These are historical events that Joel is talking about. But, but, but these things point us to a greater reality. That is, judgment that is coming from the Lord, not in the form of, of just, a, just a plague of locusts or even just an invading human army, but in the form of Him pouring out His wrath on all of those who don't believe, all of those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pouring out His wrath on an unbelieving world. And yet in the, in the midst of that discussion of pouring out His wrath, He's saying that for all of those who call upon Him, who turn to them with their whole heart and call upon Him, He's promising salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from the judgment that He will bring. In fact, I think we can say the same thing we said uh, about the, uh, the judgment with the, with the locusts earlier. It, it is coming. It is coming now. Present tense. It's happening. You want to see a description of that? Read Romans chapter 1. I've mentioned that several times. It's, it's happening already, but it, there, there's a time in the end when it, it'll, it'll come in its finality. God will pour out His wrath on this world. Now, you say, where in the world do you get all of that from? Well, I'm about to show you. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. And keep your finger here, because I'm going to refer back to some of this. And let's look at, in Acts chapter 2, of how Peter is applying this verse. And then if we have time, I want to look at a couple other passages as well. But we're short on time, so we'll see. All right, um... Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Now, most of you are probably familiar with the story. This is, this is the day of Pentecost um, when God pours out His Spirit. And, in fact, let's, let's go ahead and read some of that too. Look at, look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That is, the disciples, followers of the Lord. About 120 of them. And suddenly, there, verse 2, suddenly there came a... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Mark that. Remember what Joel said? Or the Lord said through Joel, I will pour out my Spirit. Verse 28, and then again in verse 29 of Joel chapter 2. I will pour out my Spirit. Now here it is, Acts 2.4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them 
utterance. Now, um, this is happening amidst a, a, a crowd of people in Jerusalem who are there for the, the festival of Pentecost. And, and the, the disciples here began to speak in tongues, but all of these people from different places can hear them speaking in their own dialect. That's verse 6. And so they're wondering what is going on. And they suppose uh, that, oddly enough, some of them suppose that they are drunk. You look at verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Verse 13. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's kind of funny, isn't it? So, you know, it's too early for that, guys. Um, but he's, no, these people are not drunk. Verse 16. But this, meaning what you see in here, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, this calls for our attention, right? Because Peter's saying, uh, he's about to quote from Joel 2, uh, 228, 228 through 32, and he's saying, this is the fulfillment. What you see and hear is the fulfillment. In fact, I, I think it would be correct to say it this way. I think this is what Peter's meaning. This is the beginning of the fulfillment. What you are seeing taking place and hearing taking place right here before your eyes and you're hearing with your ears is the beginning of Joel's prophecy back in Joel chapter 2. So here it is, Peter says, and in the last days. Now this is, this is one of the variances I want you to notice here because this is part of Peter's interpretation. Look at Joel 2.28. You still got your finger there? Joel says it this way, and it shall come to pass... Afterward, that I will pour out my spirit. Now, so that of course is the Lord speaking, Yahweh, the God of Israel speaking, speaking through the mouth of Joel. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What does Joel mean? Well, look at what the way Peter quotes that. Verse 17, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He doesn't say, It shall come to pass after. Uh, uh, after this, or afterward, he says, in the last days. And in the last days. So Peter's interpreting Joel's prophecy to be a reference to the, the last days. And Peter's saying, this is it. We're in the, if anybody ever asks you, you know, do you think we're in the last days? Say, absolutely. <laughs> Peter thought we were. Paul thought we were. We, we're in the last days. All right? So, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, see there's a greater fruitfulness and a greater abundance than, you know, than that of grapes growing on the vine. Or... Abundance of grain or abundance of olive oil. What he's talking about here is the fullness of the Spirit. What he's talking about here is being in right relationship to God so that you are actually in communication with God. You prophesy. You speak forth truth about God. 
Now, they, they did it. And remember, Peter said, this is what was uttered through Joel. Well, what happened? Look back in verse 11, Acts 2.11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. So what they were doing was telling the mighty works of God. And Peter's saying, this is the fulfillment of what Joel said when he said, I will... The Lord said through Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your daughter, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That is, tell the mighty works of God. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, God is giving revelation. He's speaking to His people. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, one of, one of the very important aspects of this in, in regard to the book of Acts, and it's another way it's being interpreted here, is when you think of the scope of what God is doing here, um, it's not, this is not so clear in Joel. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And the way that that gets uh, interpreted in the book of Acts, and the way we see that play out in the book of Acts, is meaning all kinds of people. In other words, it's not just Jews, but it includes Gentiles. It's, in other words, it's a prophecy concerning the gospel going to the ends of the earth. The mighty works of God being declared by all sorts of people to all sorts of people. So again, um, in, in, as far as the scope, think of it in, in these terms. Um, all kinds of people, in other words, all ethnic groups... Every, every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, says in Revelation, appear before the throne. So all ethnic groups, or all, you say all people groups, all ethnicities. And then all social classes. That's why he includes, um, here it's verse 18 in Acts 2. Even all my male servants and female servants. So it, it includes all social classes. He's not, he's not just talking about pouring out his spirit on the priest, chief priest. Or even, you know, the elders of the land or something like that. No, it's, it's, it's all classes and all ages. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. So it's pretty all-encompassing. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon everybody, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of age, regardless of class. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And they're going to speak the mighty works of God and speak to all. Now, he goes on. Verse 18, Even on my male service, female service, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Now, let me, let me interject something here. What we're looking for here is, is fulfillment, right? Joel's prophecy, how is it fulfilled? In other words, how is Peter applying it here? So let's watch the language here. Verse, verse 19, I will show wonders, mark that, in the heavens above, and signs, mark that. So we got wonders, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. So now he's speaking here. Um, quoting from Joel, he's speaking that the judgment's coming. There's a great day of the Lord coming. Before that happens, 
I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Peter says, this is it. It's happening now. The great and magnificent day. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Verse 21, And it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, there's Joel's prophecy. Now, listen to how Peter begins to apply it. Verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and what? What? Wonders. And what? Signs. That God did through him in your midst. Notice that phrase. Mark that phrase. In your midst. And look at Joel 2.27. When, when he's talking about these things coming, in, in Joel chapter 2, verse 27, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. That's, that's going to be the result. When, when, I, when I bring these things about, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And Peter says, um, God is doing these things in your midst. What? Wonders, signs, through Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus, he goes on, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, that is the Jesus of Nazareth he just mentioned, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now let me skip down a little bit here. Um, Verse 32 this Jesus God raised up, and of what and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm wanting you to notice here is all these things is not coincidental. Peter Peter's speaking in context of Joel two. He talks about, you know, these things are done in your midst. Jesus was attested to by signs and wonders, and now he says um, here, he speaks of the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's, 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 he's relating this all to Joel's prophecy, and he's telling them, this is it. It's, it's come to pass. What Joel talked about, this, this great time of rescue and restoration and a, an abundant life that Joel talked about was coming, Peter is saying, in a nutshell, Peter is saying, it has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is evident that God is in our midst, just as Joel said. So, verse 33, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out..." Again, using the the language of Joel, "...having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." And then, let me skip down a little bit more here. In verse um, 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. There's the reference to the Spirit again. The promise. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. 
everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, notice this language here, and we're almost done here. The promises to those who repent, just like back in Joel, he's saying return to the Lord, and all of these things are going to happen. And it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Back in Joel, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Peter says the promise is for you, for your children, all who are far off. And let me back up. I'm in Acts 2, but we're fixing to compare some passages back and forth here. Um, Acts 2.21, he's quoting from Joel, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, he's quoting there Joel 2.32, but he's applying this to Jesus. When they ask, what shall we do? Repent and be, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, and and, uh, notice this as well, for the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now let's go back to Joel briefly. Okay, here it is in Joel. Acts 2, uh, I'm sorry, Joel 2, 32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord Calls, which is what Peter says in Acts 2.39, as many as the Lord our God calls. So what Peter's doing is saying the prophecy of Joel, the, the prophecy of rescue, of salvation, of abundant blessing, of being right with God, and once again hearing from God, hearing God's Word, hearing God speak, knowing His presence, enjoying His presence. Remember the command, Rejoice in the Lord, Joel said. Peter's saying all of this is fulfilled in this Jesus. And everybody who calls on Him. And, and this is not a light thing, by the way. I'm, I'm, I hope, I hope I'm, um, I'm emphasizing this enough. But when, when Joel uses this term, Lord, he's, he's using the personal name for God, Yahweh. Okay, again, that's Joel 2.32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the God who revealed Himself to Moses, right? Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Whoever calls on Him, Joel says, shall be saved. And Peter applies that to Jesus. It shall come to pass, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made Him, that is Jesus, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to everyone whom the Lord our God calls. The gift of the Spirit is the power and proof of true repentance. Let me just kind of say it the way Joel and Peter say it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who shall be saved? All those whom the Lord calls. Did you get that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And who will be saved? Everyone whom the Lord calls. Those who call on the name of the Lord are the ones whom the Lord calls. And the ones whom the Lord calls call upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord is Jesus. He's the only way of salvation. And we're not just talking about more grain, wine, and oil. (laughs) We're talking about the abundant life Jesus talked about in John 10 and in John 17. To know the true God. This is eternal life. That they may know you, Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And it's the Spirit of God that enables us to repent. Our repentance is the result of Him pouring out His His Spirit. And it is the Spirit of God that is the proof of our salvation. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. We'll dismiss. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. and Lord, for blessing us with these promises. Help us, Lord, to take Your truth in, meditate on it, Consider the, uh, the great blessings that You have poured out on us. The great love that You have for us. And Lord, may it increase our trust in You. May it increase our thanksgiving toward You. All for Your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.